brother. Amen. Oh, I was hoping that that's when I, I thought, Lord, we don't need another special. We don't need anything else. Let me go up right after that. Amen. Come on. That's better than a touchdown. That's better than a three-point shot. That's better than anything you can do that the world will clap for you about. Man, that, that's, that's a home run right there, young people. Amen. And I get excited about kids doing that. Amen. That, that matters for God. Way to go, guys. Man, praise the Lord. I couldn't be more excited, more pleased that you're serving God. Hey, I hope you parents are making sure that your kids know that when they serve God, that's what pleases mom and dad. Amen. Let's encourage that. Mm, my soul. I'm having a good time. We ought to sing that again. But not we, they. <laughs> Man, I, and, and I'll tell you what. I've got, a, I've got my bolo crew down front here. Did you notice? There's some more. Bo the bolo count has risen at Calvary Baptist Church tonight. Come up here, all you boys that got bolos on. Come on. Come on. Here, here. Come on. Come on. Look at these guys. Yeah, my boys. Too. Stand, out, stand out here in the front. Let's show these Baltimore folks what, what, what fashion's really all about, all right? Come on. Bring this in here. Look at this. Look at this. Come on. Come on. Hey, Amen. Now, Now, I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, all right? Now, you know the bolo tie was invented in Arizona. It was. It's the state tie of Arizona, Texas, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, where men are men and some of the women are too. You know what I mean? <laughs> tough, tough. American-made fashion here. <sighs> Preacher, I hope this doesn't get me in trouble, but I looked up the cloth necktie. And it's connected to the French. So y'all can keep pushing French fashion if you want to. But we're going to go with what's made in the good old U.S. of A. Amen. All right. Thank you, fellas. Man, that blessed my soul. That's good. Uh -huh. Looking good. And cowboy boots, every one of them. You can trust a man in boots. Amen. Especially if they're dirty. Oh, that, that, that blesses me. Oh, Hallelujah. Between that special and those bolos, we could hit the altar right now. Amen. <laughs> oh, Brother Savali, that was a blessing. Thank you for that testimony. Praise God. My, my wife's whole family was wrapped up in Catholicism. God saved them out of that. It's just such a blessing. We're praying for a Jewish fellow right now, wrapped up in Catholicism. He's doing some architect work. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about how I might be able to witness to him. He's all wrapped up in education educated man, but that never got anybody to heaven. So my heart was touched, and I was just thinking about him, Mr. Friedman. And so you, I, I know you can help me with that before the week's out. What a blessing. And man, get to meet Brother Shields. I'm ready to go to Aruba. 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 Amen. I'm ready. Missions trip next time. Amen. All right, come on. Just take a detour in Albuquerque and I'll jump in with you guys. That would be a, a blessing. I'm excited about that. Hey, come on. Are you, are you, you surrendered to preach? If you've surrendered to preach and you hear something like that, that merits at the very least you saying, Lord, is he talking to me? At the very least, you ought to be surrendered and say, Lord, I'll go there if that's what you want for me. That guy needs some help. And I'm just stirred. I, I, I'm, listen, I, I surrender to go to so many countries. I've surrendered to go to so many mission fields. And I listened to that. And I prayed under my breath, Lord, he needs help. If you want me, I'll go. 
Now, he's got me all wrapped up on the Navajo Nation. I don't know how, if, if, if it wants me over there or not, but I'm telling you, I've prayed that prayer over and over again. And you, not, you ought not be afraid to pray that prayer. Say, Lord, I will go and give that man some help if that's what you would have me to do. And so, anyway, thank you, Brother Caleb. Man, I am just, I'm so full. I don't even know where to begin, where to get to. I'm full spiritually. I'm full physically. Nando's chicken was incredible. I love it. Whoever Nando is, I hope he's a Christian. Amen. He can, he can make us half chickens in heaven. That would be wonderful. And then chilies tonight that was catered in. And, and the, the desserts. I ate one of ever. I ate a brownie tonight. I ate some kind of coconut cream something tonight. Um, I think it was like a sugar, thick sugar cookie deal going on. And then something, one of the boys told me one of the cakes had mayo and hot sauce on it. But it was, it was actually, oh, it was barbecue sauce. Excuse me there, Stetson. All right, okay. Uh, I'm call, hey, that's his name, isn't it? First name. He, he's Stetson to me from here on out. Amen. And I'm going to come back with a Navajo name for you, okay? I don't know the word for cowboy hat in Navajo, but I'm going to call one of our fellows, and we're going to give him a Navajo name this week, amen? And that'll be a blessing for when he comes out, we'll be ready to go. Get your Bibles ready at First Kings, or I'm just going to yammer on. It's been such a great day. Uh, I hope you've had a good day. If you haven't, you picked the right place to end it out, because uh, it's already gotten good. First Kings chapter 3. We're going to read verses 16 through 28, and all three messages I'm talking about last night, tonight, and what I believe the Lord would have for us tomorrow, you may look at them and think them to be a bit disjointed, but I, I, I think that by tomorrow night, I'm going to be able to tie all these together, and you're going to understand, I believe we're all going to understand what God's trying to accomplish in our hearts and in our lives. Last night, we talked about what God really wanted. What God really wanted was... It's not, it's, it's, not what you, it's not just what you have, although that's part of it. It's not just what you're hoping for, although that's part of it. It's not just your heart, although that's part of it. God wants you. He wants everything that makes up you. And I believe that there were some that came to the altar last night, and you said, God, I want to give you what you want. I want to give you what you want. I know you want me. But tonight I want to help you understand exactly how you give that to God. Sometimes we'll preach and say this is what you need to do, but we don't necessarily get into how to do that. Did you know you can come forward and you can pray a prayer like that and not follow through? Not the way that you should? And we're not playing games this week, are we, church family? Aren't we trying to get something done? I don't think God scraped up a nobody res kid from the middle of the desert, plopped him in all this greenery, plopped him in the, uh, in the middle of Maryland and, uh, for no reason. I believe God's put us together for, for, for a specific purpose. And we're working towards something this week. And I believe part of this journey is what God's going to allow us to draw out of this text. Now, are you familiar with 1 Kings chapter 3? You remember this is the first grand display of the wisdom of Solomon. You remember that? You remember David has passed off the scene. He's the, uh, he's the man after God's own heart. 
Uh, he is the man the Bible said God would establish his throne forever. And now Solomon at the age of 40 is about to step into his dad's shoes. Those are some big shoes to fill. No pressure, right? And here he comes, and, and I like his back and forth with the Lord. The Lord comes to him in a vision, and, and he says, Solomon, what do you want? And out of all the things that Solomon could have asked for, what did he ask God for, church family? Wisdom. God loved that request so much. He said, I'm going to give you wisdom and all the things that most men would have asked for if they were in your shoes. And now what we're about to read is the first grand display of that wisdom. Now, my focus tonight is not so much on Solomon, but rather the individuals that were part of this grand display. There's a particular woman that I believe we're going to get something from tonight. So let's look in verse number 16 and you can stand with me just to stretch those legs just a little bit. And here's what the Bible says. <clears throat> the Bible says, Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also. Uh, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. She rolled over on top and the baby suffocated. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. I challenge you to do a study on all the things that happen in the midnight hour in your Bible. Well, that'd be an interesting study. You'd enjoy that. Verse 21, the woman continues to tell her story to the king. She says, and when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, nay, but the living is my son and the dead is thy son. And this said, no, but the dead is thy son and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, the one saith, this is my son that liveth and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine. But divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Heavenly Father, I pray that you take this time. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see God in this passage. Help us to see ourselves. Help us, Lord, to get right. Father, I think some folks came forward and, and they want to give themselves to you. They understand that that's what you really want this week. But Father, I don't know that all of us know exactly how. And if we come and offer ourselves in a, in, in, in a poor fashion and in a fashion that's not to your pleasing, then, then what's the point of the offering altogether if it's not done your way? I pray you'd help us tonight to understand exactly how we ought to offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you can be seated. 
Now we're going to do two things tonight in the scripture. We are going to find with this woman, we are going to see a comparison and then we're going to make a contrast. The comparison that we're going to make tonight is we are going to compare the love of this woman with the love of our God, with the love of our Savior toward us. Now, lest you think that that's inappropriate, I don't believe it's inappropriate at all. In fact, the type of love that this woman has toward her son is a parental love. Now, we saw last night in Genesis chapter 22, the first time the word love ever shows up in your Bible, take thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou, what church family, lovest. So the first time love shows up, and listen, there's a thing in, your, in studying your Bible that there's a Bible study law. It's called the law of first mention. And this law states that it's generally true that the first time a word or the first time a person or place or a word is mentioned in the Bible, it gives the general attitude of God toward, toward that word, toward that person, toward that place or that thing. And so I, I'm looking in my Bible and I'm seeing that the first time the word love shows up, it is a parental kind of love. I used to tell people I didn't understand how God could love somebody like me. But I stopped saying that after I had children. I did. Because I just began to understand. I remember when we got the news about our first boy coming along. Now we've got five boys. We're in the market for a girl. And I really think if Brother Ballinger loved the Lord, he'd give me one of his. You know, he'd share. Because he's, I, I want that one that was up there pointing last night. You know, going like, I thought, mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she might have a good time on the res. There she, uh, all right, good. But, but I, I'll tell you, I remember when, when our Joel Jr. boy was coming along. And, and, and my wife came and said, we're pregnant. I didn't understand that right away, Brother Savali, but I did understand it was a we thing, amen? We were both gonna be involved in this in one way or another. And, and so uh, we find out this baby's coming and, and, and like is typical, my wife bought all the books and put them on the nightstand and she's reading, right? Because mama's gonna read up on all the things that need to be known to bring that baby in. And so she's reading, she's talking about these, uh, these, these pills that she needs to take, these, these minerals. And I say, all right, we can get you those. And, and she's, she's talking about, well, we got to do this with the house and we're going to need, we're going to need new furniture. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 what kind of new furniture? This is getting expensive and I haven't even met this kid, right? And she said, well, we need a changing table. I said, no problem. I've got one of those old backbreaker tables. Remember the big wooden ones we used to fling around before they had these nice plastic ones? I said, I've got one of those in the shed. It's about eight feet long. And so no matter how big that kid is, I think it'll accommodate. I said, we'll flip that up for you. Boom, got your changing table. She said, that won't do. You see, she said, it has to have a lip on the edge of it or else the baby's gonna roll off. I said, no problem, same shed, I've got an eight foot two by four. <laughs> and I've got screws and, and I've got a DeWalt drill, amen. And, and I can go and I can just, and, and, and there's your lip. How many of you think we went out and bought a table? How many of you think we did? You'd be exactly right, we went out and bought the table. <laughs> She's talking about all this stuff. She says, now, now you know there's gonna need to be prenatal appointments. And, and I, I, I'm thinking this inside my heart. I'm not brave enough to say it out loud. But I'm thinking this is ridiculous. People have been having babies for how long? 
Can't we just focus on the natal and let the prenatal just kind of work itself out? <laughs> That's just what I'm thinking. I didn't have the guts to say that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say things. My wife wasn't always saved, amen? She was gangster before she got saved, and so there's just some things I would not say to her. True story. But I'm thinking, man, we're spending money, and we're rearranging the house, and there's all this stuff going on. I'm watching her waddle around with that baby as she gets bigger and bigger, and I, I'm thinking, man, you know what? When this baby, when this boy shows up in the world, he better be grateful. He better all that we're doing for him. I haven't even played with him yet. And the day came. And, I, 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 and that little baby boy came into this world. And you know what? I expected him to come out hands folded on his knees saying, thank thee, father and mother, for thy bountiful goodness and the safe haven in which I was developed. But he came out just like every baby does. You remember? Remember the sound? Yeah. Yeah. And so the doctor took him aside, gave him a whoop, and I said, give that Bradley another one, amen? Little ungrateful little baby. He should be smiling. He should be happy. And, uh, but I'm they put him in my arms. And as soon as skin touches skin, everything changes. You're not the same person. They put him in my arms. I was walking along. The nurse had to stop me. I almost walked into a wall. She said, here's the door, Dad. I'm walking out. I'm just thinking, man, he was in there. Now he's right here. This is a miracle. And I'm looking at him, and we prayed and offered him up to the Lord. And I remember looking at that Joel Jr. boy, and I looked down at him. And I said, boy, I would die for you. He had done nothing for me. And in a moment, because, because he's mine, I loved him enough to give my life for him. And the Holy Spirit of God swept in that hospital room and said, do you understand how I love you now, son? Because I know this, that before I got, the Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ died for us. I'd done nothing for him. I'd done nothing to merit that love, but he loved me anyways when I'd done. That's a parental love. That's the kind of love God loves you with. And so I don't believe, I said all that to say, we're not taking license with the scripture tonight because the same kind of love with which God loves you and I is the same kind of love that this woman had toward her son. It's a parental love. So if we compare God's love to us with her love toward her son, that is not inappropriate. Are we on the same page? And so I tell you this about the love of this woman. First of all, you ought to consider the supremacy of her love. How her love reigned supreme over some things. Got some victory over some things. I would tell you first of all that her love covered her sin. It made her something better than what she was before. You see we get started in the passage and what does the Bible call her? The Bible says she's a harlot. You remember that? But I don't know about you as I'm reading this passage I stop looking at her that way. I, all of a sudden she kind of becomes the heroine of the story. All of a sudden, I'm rooting for her. And you know what's interesting? The king looks and he says, give her the living child. She is the mother there. That's a pretty big promotion. 
to go from being called a harlot to being called a mother in one chapter. You say, what made the difference? What made her something better than what she was? I'll tell you what it was. It was that love inside of her that made her something better. And can I tell you, that's what the love of our Savior does for us, amen? It covers our sins, and it makes us something better than what we were before. That's what happened in this. It reigned supreme because her love covered her sin. Her love convinced her judge. She's standing before the king, and, and they laid out all the facts. She could have told him, look, he's got my nose. Look, he's got my smile and my cheekbones. She could have laid out all the facts, and she did. And yet after laying out all of the evidences, her judge was not convinced. But when he saw her bowels yearn for her son, when he saw her love, he was convinced this woman's the real deal. And can I tell you this? You and I, one day we're going to stand in front of a judge. And you better not stand in front of him with just cold, hard facts. You, you can stand before him and say, well, the fact is I went to Calvary Baptist Church. And the fact is I've been baptized. And the fact is that I gave to missions. And the fact is that I I was a church member and I'm a really good person. Can I tell you this? Nobody ever got into heaven off those facts. Anybody that ever got into heaven is because they received the love gift of God. They received Christ. I, I, I am over this stuff with preachers standing behind a pulpit and saying, come give your life to God. God, can I tell you this? Uh, uh, for salvation, you it's not... God that needs to receive you, it's you that needs to receive him. And after you get saved, then comes that process of giving yourself to God. Uh, day by day, that consecration, that setting apart, that sanctification. Well, uh, uh, hold on. And so uh, here she is. She's got a judge. You and I are going to stand before a judge. You, hey, you better have accepted the love of Jesus Christ. You better have accepted what he did for you. Can I just throw this in on a side note? There's also another judge outside of the judge of all the earth, as the Bible calls him, and that's the community that's outside the doors of this church building. You understand that this community is judging you. You understand that when they walk in these doors on a Sunday morning, uh, uh, they don't care that it's Calvary Baptist Church. You should care that it's a Baptist church, but they don't care that it's a Baptist church. When they walk in, they don't care that all of the young people are dressed modestly and the young ladies are dressed right and the young men are sharp. Uh, they don't care. You should care about that because it's a big deal. But they don't care about that. When somebody walks in Calvary Baptist Church, you want to know what they want to know? Is the love of God here? Is somebody going to know my name? Walk up and say hello to me and show me the love of Christ. You know what will convince a sinner that this place is real? The love of God will convince them that this place is real. Her love covered her sin. It made her something better than what she was before. Her love convinced her judge when facts and evidences were not enough. And I like this. Her love, it conquered her foe. Her love conquered. Let, let me ask you something. She had an enemy. Don't read your Bible like, like it's some kind of a fairy tale book. This really happened. This is historical record. You've got two women living in a house. And by the way, I'm just amazed that two harlots cared more about a couple of babies than the so-called educated women of today cared more about the life of their babies. 
Uh, so we've got a couple of harlot women and they're, they're sharing an apartment. They're living in a house together. And in the middle of the night, one gal, the gal over here on this side, she accidentally rolled over on top of her baby and her baby suffocated in the night. Now that's a sorrowful and an awful thing. But what she did next was unjustified by her. There's a lot of people do wicked things when they get to hurting. You better be careful when you're hurting that you don't go off and start hurting somebody else. And so here she is. She's hurting and she's struggling and she's crying. No doubt guilt, dealing with, with guilt. And, and then all of a sudden a sinister idea comes into her head. She looks across the room and she says, I'm going to take her baby. So she scoops up the dead body of her baby boy and walks over and she takes that baby out of, her, uh, out of the other woman's bosom, lays her dead child there and then comes and nestles in with that lady's little living child. Well, the morning comes and mama number two over here wakes up and she says, good morning, boy. Good morning. It's time to eat. And she looks down and his veins have already become pronounced and purple and blue and his body's cold. And I can imagine as she looks down at horror and says, oh no, what have I done? Oh, it's my baby. Oh, what have I done? What have I done? And when the tears, the fog of her tears began to dwindle, I wonder if as the baby came into focus, she goes, wait a minute. This isn't my baby. And she looks over on the other side and she sees this other nasty gal holding her baby. Uh, let me ask you something, mamas. You think a fight got going? You think, you, you think maybe she set that baby down and came over there and they began to scrap a little bit for that little one. You know what she had? She had herself an enemy. She now had a foe. How's she going to overcome that foe? She could not overcome physically because there they stand before Solomon. There was nothing she could do in her strength to get that baby boy back in her arms. And so how is she going to conquer her foe? You know what she needed? She needed a king. And I'll tell you this, you and I today, we have a foe. We have an enemy. His name is the devil. He's ruining and wrecking lives. And I'll tell you this, I'm looking forward to the day when we get victory over that wicked one. I'm looking forward to after he's loosed for a season, after that battle of Gog and Magog, when finally a strong angel takes him, and I think he's going to spin him at least three times spin him three times in a circle and cast him off into the lake of fire and he'll, he'll be there day and night for all eternity. I'm looking forward to that day when he can't wreck any more families and rob any more of our young people and hurt any more of our, uh, of, of our children. I'm looking forward to that day. But when that day comes, it won't be because of anything I did. And it won't be because of anything that you did. It'll be because of the power of a loving king. The king is the one who gives us victory over our foe. She needed the help of a king. Well, we've seen the supremacy of her love, how it covered her sin, how it helped uh, convince her judge and conquer her foe. But I'd have you notice the selflessness of her love. You know, love by its very nature is selfless. If it's not selfless, it's not love. For God so loved the world that he gave. Uh, listen, by very definition, love is all about giving young people. You listen to me, some boy ever asks you, girl, says, if you love me, you'll, I, I don't care what you fill in the blank with, that's not love. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity. Mark it down, love is about what I can do for you, not about what I can get from you. 
I want you to see the selflessness of her love. It's the real deal. The world doesn't understand what real love is. I, I remember sitting in a doctor's office one time. It was in a dentist's office there in Gallup, New Mexico. And they had a bunch of magazines sitting on a little coffee table. And I usually don't pick them up unless they have John Wayne on them or something like that, you know. But, but, but I don't know, for some reason, I saw something called the family circle. And there was something on there. It said the family pyramid. And I thought, this is interesting. And it, so I, I opened it up. I looked, and, and it was like the food pyramid, you know, where like all the things you hate to eat are on the bottom. You're supposed to have a lot of that. And, and ice cream is like on the tippy top, you know, not supposed to have much of that. You know how the food pyramid works. Uh, but they, they had made one for men and for women. And they were talking about all the things that had to be in place down here in order for a man to be able to love a woman fully or in order for a woman to be able to love a man fully. So I thought, well, that's interesting. So I looked over on the ladies' side because I'm married to one of those. I'm not really looking to get any men to love me, amen? And so I thought, I'll look over on the ladies' pyramid side and figure out all this that she needs so we can get to the tippy top and she'll love me. And I'm looking and says, well, she needs security and she needs this and she needs that and you've got to be this way and you've got to be that way. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, man, I'm like halfway up that pyramid. She's never going to love me. I got discouraged. So I said, let me look on the other side. Let's look at the guy's side. We're simple, right? Amen. It's like, good meal. I love you. You know, we're like the dog. Just set out the bowl and some water and, went, and we love you. Uh, uh, and so I thought, well, let me read that. Let me see what us fellas need. He needs to be validated and he needs this and he needs that. And I'm looking, I thought, this is ridiculous. Ain't nobody going to love anybody if that's the requirements. But that's the way the world sees it. You see everything. You've got to give me everything I want, then I can love you. No, no. Flip that upside down. We gave God nothing, and he loved us anyways. That's real love. And so mark it down. Somebody says, I love you, and they're only interested in what they can get from you. It ain't love. This woman's love was selfless. You say, how do you know it was selfless? Because a selfless love is faithful to the very end. Real love doesn't quit when it gets hard. It just keeps going. I, I stopped and thought about this. Do you really think a harlot woman had the clout to just waltz into the palace, to the judgment room of Solomon and have her case heard? You think that, you think that came easy? I imagine it's something like this. That, that morning when she discovered this woman holding her baby, like we said, I imagine that there was a physical altercation and a battle. And when she could not prevail, I imagine perhaps she went out and called to the neighbors and said, she's got my baby. The neighbors came over and she laid the case out before them. And they said, we can't tell who the baby belongs to. Let's call the local authorities. So they bring in the local authorities and she lays out her case and they argue with one another and they say, we can't tell who this baby belongs to. Let's take it to the court and to the next court and to the next court. I don't know how long it took her. I don't know if it took two weeks. I don't know if it took two years. I don't know how old this baby is. All I know is he's still a baby. 
by the time she finally gets to stand before the king. And here's what I see in this woman. This woman wasn't going to quit till she got her baby back. I'm glad we've got a Savior that loves us with a selfless love. I'm glad he looks at us. And I'm glad he walked every step up Golgotha's hill. I'm glad he shed every drop of blood that was necessary for the remission of my sins. I'm glad that he did everything that the Father would have him do. But I, it shouldn't surprise us because real love is selfless love and it's faithful to the very end. It was selfless. Stop and think about it for a minute. She's standing before the king. And the king can't tell who the baby belongs to. And so he says, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword and I'll chop this baby in half and I'll give half to the one and half to the other. And you know what she did in that moment? It was selfless and then it was faithful to the end. But right there, the Bible says that her bowels yearned for her son. There was an outward expression of emotion. You see, when there's love inside of you, it ought to be expressed. You ought to be able to see it. And so the king saw on the outside what was going on on the inside and it convinced him. I'm amazed by a bunch of folks that say, oh, I love God, but they can sit like a bump on a log through a special like that with a bunch of young people praising God. I'm just saying, you get a God as big as our God inside of you, he ought to leak out every once in a while in the form of a smile or an amen. There are, hey, it was selfless and that it was faithful to the end, selfless and that it had feelings. There was emotion involved in it. You well, I don't get into emotionalism. It's kind of like kissing. You don't have to kiss to be married, but it makes things nicer. Don't have to be emotional to be spiritual, but it sure is nicer. People ought to see on the outside what you're claiming is going on on the inside. But you know what else she did? It was selfless and then it was faithful to the end. Selfless in that there were feelings attached to it. She didn't care if she looked foolish. She didn't care if she looked a mess. Uh, she, she wanted to show the king on the outside what was on the inside. But I'll tell you this, it was faithful in that she was willing to forfeit. Forfeit what? Do you remember what happens? He lifts up that sword as they're holding the limbs of that baby and he gets ready to hack that baby's body in half. And that woman says, no, oh my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. What was she saying, church family? She was saying, I, I have rights to that boy, but I'll forfeit them. I will from a distance watch my enemy raise my child. I will suffer heartache and pain so that he can live. Is that not the picture of our Savior who forfeited the glories of heaven and came to this earth and endured the pain and the shame and the disgrace that you and I deserved? Why? So that we could live. What a Savior. What love. What a God that he would love us that way. We've spent some time making a comparison but I told you there's a contrast to be made in this passage because we have two women. Each woman is claiming the same thing, but, they're not, but, but one is telling the truth and one's lying. And here's what I'm asking. You see, we, we, we've seen the supremacy of her love and the selflessness of her love, but there's a satisfaction of her love that will only be met in a certain way. 
As they're standing before the king and he lifts up that sword and it glistens in the light of that judgment hall, gets ready to chop that baby boy in two, when she cries out and says, no, 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 don't slay him. The other woman, you remember what she said? Let it be neither mine nor thine. Divide it. One said, now, now, now follow me on this. If you've been on a mental vacation, don't miss this. This is our truth. We're being a little bit inductive here, all right? We're saving everything for the end. How can you tell the difference between somebody that's faking it and somebody that's real? One woman said, that's my son, and I love him, king. Her love was pure. It was, her love was the real thing. You have a woman over here, she said the same stuff, went through the same motion. She said, that's my son and I love him. Her love was pretense. It was fake. There was nothing real about it. How could the king tell the difference between a love that was real and a love that was a farce? It was fake. Here's how he could tell. One's love would not be satisfied with anything but a whole. And the other said, hmm, half's good enough. The real love said, only a whole. Fake pretending love said, half's good enough. What kind of love does our Savior love us with? Whole. He withheld nothing, withheld not his only begotten son, the blessed lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He, with, he gave us a whole of himself. And yet, and you know what he expects in return? A whole. A whole. You know, I'll tell you the saddest love story in all the world. If you came to me and said, oh, Brother Joel, I watch a sad romance movie. It was a sad love story. I'd say, you sorry, rotten heathen. <laughs> I don't need to know the storyline. Don't tell me I know what happened. Somebody loved and they didn't get loved back. Or someone loved and their love was mistreated. That's the storyline. I've seen the Hallmark Channel. That's the way it works. They love, but that love is not reciprocated in kind or in measure. And it breaks the heart of the person that loves. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen it with a husband who's trying to maybe rekindle his relationship with his wife and she continues to give him a cold shoulder? Have you ever seen what that'll do to a man? How it crushes confidence and make him small in his heart. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen a wife that's trying to rekindle the flame of their marriage and maybe, maybe uh, gets dressed up and makes his favorite meal and gets ready for him to come home from work? And when he does, he says, what are you all dressed up for? Oh, we got company coming over. I, I already ate on the way home. You ever seen what that does to a woman? When she loves and that love is not reciprocated. You ever seen it with a child? You ever seen a little boy that just wants daddy to tell him his muscles are big? And he's real strong. After every meal, my Jonas boy, three years old, he walks up and he'll say, Dad, did they get bigger? 
I go, oh, wow, boy, yeah, those got so much bigger. His brothers are all there rolling their eyes, and I tell him, hey, you leave them alone. Got big muscles. You ever seen a little boy that thinks dad's just the biggest? My dad can beat up your dad. My dad's smarter than your dad. My dad has more money than your dad, right? You ever seen it? Every boy wants his dad to be the biggest and the best and the best. And in his mind, at least for a time until reality hits, daddy is. You ever seen a little boy that loves dad and dad pushes him to the side, doesn't care about him, doesn't come around, interested more in what he's got going on than that little boy's like, have you ever, some of you have lived through it. Have you ever seen the story of unreciprocated love? You ever seen a little girl that just wants mama to tell her she's pretty and to fix up her hair, make her feel like she has some value, but mom's more interested in beers and boys than she is in her little girl? Have you ever seen it? It's the saddest love story in all the world. I've seen it on our reservation. When we had our church plant in Chambers, Arizona, we used to do a 300-mile trek with those two church plants, one in Chambers, one in Pinon, before we turned Chambers over, and we'd run a bus route. And we'd pick up over in a little community on the way, we'd pick up some little girls that would come to church with us. And there's one of them. Oh, she's the prettiest little thing. Boy, when she'd smile, uh, she had these dimples in her cheeks the size of the Grand Canyon. You ever met a little girl like that that just lights up a room when she comes in? Just so sweet and so precious and so happy. She'd get on the van. She'd be wearing her church dresses. Nothing cuter than a church girl in a church dress. That's why God didn't give me any girls. I'd just give them everything and leave my boys broke. Amen. You know, I would. The Lord couldn't trust me. Well, nothing cuter than a little church girl all dressed up going to church. And one Sunday as we were going along on the bus route, she, she said, Pastor, it's my birthday this weekend. I said, oh, really? How old are you? I'm going to be eight. And I said, oh, that's wonderful, sweetie. I am so excited for you. And she said, the best part, said, my mommy and I, we're going to go to Gallup. That's Gallup, New Mexico. When you live in the middle of nowhere, Gallup's an exciting place to get to go. <laughs> we're going to Gallup. And we're going we're gonna to go to Big Cheese Pizza and we're going to shop in the mall and, and we're going to get our hair done and we're going we're gonna to just spend the whole day together. And I said, that sounds wonderful. That sounds like you've got a great mom. And she said, oh, she's the best mom in the whole world. Her aunt was with us in the van and, and we got to the church and she said, Pastor, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, what's going on? She said, do you know my niece's story, I mean her whole story. I said, no. I said, I, I know that I've never met her mother, but apparently they've still got a really good relationship. She said, no, Pastor, her mother had her when, when her mother was 12 years old. And her mother lives 10 minutes down the road. And, and, and her mother has another child, and she's with a different man and she started another life. They live 10 minutes down the road, and she hasn't seen her mom in three years. I found out the rest of the story later, and I wish they had not done this. This was really foolish. But they decided to dress her up in a pretty little dress and a denim jacket and put two bows in her hair, and they drove out to the housing where her mother lived. And they put a little backpack on the back of her, and they said, because she said, all I want for my birthday, I just want to go see my mom. And they had built up this fantasy in her mind that her mom was going to do something with her and for her on her birthday. 
And so they dropped her off and, and they, 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 they parked by the curb and said, go knock on the door, honey. And that sweet little darling went and she knocked on the door. Lights were on, cars in the drive, TV blaring out the door. All of a sudden, the lights flipped off. They said, knock, knock again. And the curtains closed, TV shut off. She stood there, knocked three, four, five times. And nobody ever came. Now listen here tonight. I'm disgusted with that. And you're disgusted with that. But be careful. Be careful in your judgment. Because here we have the example of a little girl who thought her mother hung the sun, the moon, and the stars. She loved wholly and completely this woman. And what was reciprocated back was an ugly half. And you and I judge her for it tonight. But I tell you this, it's a picture of our relationship with God. A loving and a precious and a perfect Savior who has loved you wholly, who has given himself completely, and he knocks at your heart's door tonight. And he knocks at your heart's door tonight. And he's been knocking service after service after service. And you say, oh, I love you, God. But you're not giving him a hole. You're picking and choosing what he gets to control. You're picking and choosing what he can have. You're picking and choosing where he has liberty in your heart and in your life and in your family. You're offering a half to a God that loves you with a hole. You're no better than that girl's mother. What would you think of my wife and I? If we got back from the reservation on Monday, made our flight, got to Albuquerque, <clears throat> made the three-hour drive back to the house, what would you think of us if we put the boys to bed that night and, and after everything settled, my wife said, Whew, well, that was a great missions conference. Oh, that was a long trip. Well, honey, I'll see you. I'm going out tonight. Going out tonight. Where are you going? Oh, don't, don't, don't mind that. What do you mean, don't mind that? I'm your husband. I know, I know, I know. And I'm glad you're my husband. But you understand, there's some things in my life that I just need to have for me. You, 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 you understand, there's some places that I want to go that if you know I'm going there, I'll just feel uncomfortable about it. I'm giving an illustration, not a real life story. Are we okay? You understand where I'm coming from? I need to say that for my wife's sake so some blood will come back into her face. Well, I said, but, but, but honey, you can't just go out and be with whoever you want to be with and do whatever you want to do. We're married. And I love you. And what would you think if she looked back and said, and I'm glad we're married and I love you too, but there are some parts of my life that I just need for myself and you should really understand that. You know what you'd call that? You'd call that a sorry excuse for a love relationship. You know what I'd call a Christian who says, God, you can't have my music. You know what I'd call a Christian who says, you can't have my Sunday nights. You can't have my Wednesday nights. You can't have my Saturdays for the soul winning. You can't have my kids. God, you can have this, but you can't have that. You know what I'd call that? I'd call that a sorry excuse for a love relationship. 
Someone who would give God a half when he's given you a whole. How could you be so cold, so hard, and so low as to say, God, you can have me except for this part and this part and this part. It doesn't work that way. If we're going to give God what he really wants, if I'm going to give myself to him, he, he will not be satisfied with a half. It has to be a whole. You know, there was one, hey, this, late, this liar had everybody fooled except one person. There was one person who saw through her lies and it was the person that mattered the most. It was the king. And can I tell you this? You can fool a lot of people in here tonight that you're given a whole. Because you want to you know why? Because some of you, your half is impressive. Some of you, your half is in measure as great as my whole. Some of you talented, strong, good looking. Man, uh, you, some of you have got financial strength and you're able to do a lot. Can I tell you, $395,000 is incredible. But if it's not a whole, God's not pleased with it. All the things you do in this church, they're incredible. And I would never try to diminish anyone else's service to God. But I'm telling you this, if it's not a whole, if it's not your best, then God cannot be satisfied with it. He deserves better. I don't care how impressive your half is. There is a, listen, you can fool me easy. You know, I'm easy to fool because I have this problem where I, like, I just like people. I'm trying to become a better independent Baptist, but I'm just, I'm broken. I actually like people. You could easily fool me into thinking you're the Apostle Paul or Apostle Paulette. I'd believe it. But I'm telling you, what I see of you is not what matters. It's what the king sees. And according to my Bible, he has eyes as a flame of fire that can look straight through you. Hair as white as wool showing that he has wisdom and there's no way you're going to trick him. He has a voice as a voice of many waters, legs as a fine brass, a countenance as the sun. And I'm telling you, before that king tonight, your heart is open wide and bare. And he knows if he has a half. And he knows if he has a whole. And it doesn't matter how much applause you get. And it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks of you. Nothing less than a half is worthy of our king. So my question to you tonight, and I'm not trying to be, listen, I'm not trying to be unkind, but I'm not interested in all that you do. I'm interested in the half you're holding back. I'm just asking you tonight, does God have a half or does he have a whole? You ever been there, preacher? I know I have. I've been guilty to sit down and get done with my Bible. The Holy Spirit of God smite me and say, is that it? Come on, some of you half in it in your Bible reading. You ever get down to pray and it's just duty, it's just empty, it's just dry. You're half in it. If all you do is give to missions, but you don't go soul winning yourself. If you're not a witness here, you know what that is? You're only you're just doing a half. 
you're going to support a million missionaries and not do your job here. And you know what you're doing in missions and evangelism? Half! God will not be satisfied with that church. If you do not surrender him tonight, listen, I'm trying to fight with you for your church. I've seen these young people sing and I'm seeing the joy of the Lord in this place. But I've seen it before. I've seen it in churches that don't exist anymore. I've seen it in churches where their buildings and their grounds are and it's a parking lot now. Because people thought that a half would be enough. They could just do what they wanted to do and not do everything. And I'm just telling you to church tonight, I want you to keep going to the Lord comes back. And I want you to keep giving to missions. But if you don't get this missions thing as a whole, you won't be here to support my family or any other very long. Does he have a half? Or does he have a whole? And whatever you're holding back from him tonight, wouldn't you just give it to him? Give it to him completely. Completely. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. He deserves a whole. He deserves... To give myself to him, I give myself as a whole. All of my, all of me. How about it, Christian? Is it a half or a whole in your missions given? Is your Bible reading the expression of a half or a whole? Is your prayer life the expression of a half or a whole? Is your soul winning and your involvement in witnessing, is it the expression of a half or a whole? Doesn't he deserve a whole? You can't argue it tonight. You know he deserves it all. Give it to him. Your expression of a whole may be surrendering to the mission field tonight. Your expression of a whole might be surrendering your life to full-time ministry. Young man, young lady, old man, old lady. Your expression of a whole might be getting some sin out of your life, some garbage that's in your family, in your home. You've held on to it, but it's time to get it out and give God that part of your life, your family. For some of you, the expression of a whole is letting go of those kids letting God do with their life what he wants to. For some of you, the expression of a whole is to start tithing. For some of you, the expression of a whole is to start giving to missions and quit sitting on the sidelines. For some of you, the expression of a whole is you're going to come and confess those areas in your life that aren't right. Let the Holy Spirit of God yield to him and let him take control of your life. Some of you, you're doing the right things, but you know in your heart you could do better. You know you could do more. Some of you are doing a lot, but you know it's still not a whole. A half or a whole church family, he deserves it all. Give it to him.